Hello, everybody. My name is Chris Winter, and this is Jay McCarthy. I am the CEO of Reach, and he is the CTO of Reach. Uh, traditionally, what we've been doing is, is doing the series of Better on Blockchain. Uh, we decided that we want to take a step back and do something else called Basics of Blockchain uh, to kind of fit with the B-O-B uh, uh, letters. And what, what this is all about are there's a lot of things that, that exist in blockchain today that, that people might not think deeply enough about and you know, leave it to us to help people think deeper about things. So today, Jay, what are we going to be talking about? Yeah, so uh, hi, everyone. Uh, so today, the idea is that we're going to talk about uh, an NFT. So you've probably heard of NFTs. You know, they're even on, uh, you know, mainstream media. And NFT stands for a non-fungible token. So I think we're going to take it really slow and break down this concept and sort of explain it little by little. And um, one, of the, one of our goals is that even if you think you know what NFTs are, we hope that you're, you will be enlightened and will learn something more about what NFTs are after this. Does that sound like a good plan? Sounds like a great plan. And, and I believe that people will learn a lot because NFT is, is over, the word NFT is overused for so many different things that um, some people can like, oh, I know what NFTs are 100%, but actually, you know what NFTs mean in this context and not the actual overall context. So yeah. I, I'm excited to really kind of break that down. So let's start off with just a token. So um, when people say token on uh, in the context of blockchain decentralized applications, what they really mean is, um, you know, people first uh, discovered blockchains, you might say, uh, to manage ledgers. Ledgers is the fancy accounting term for a mapping between accounts and how much money is in that account. So for instance, uh, your bank runs a ledger. That's what the bank accounts are. It says that uh, you know Jay's account has this much money, Chris's account has that much, and so on. And so that's what a ledger is. And ledgers show up all over the place because you could have a ledger of you know how much money you owe your kids and their allowance. You could have a ledger for you know your personal budget, where each one of the budget categories is a different entry in the ledger. And so ledgers are just this uh, large idea that are on blockchains. And we use the word token to refer to the units that the ledger is about. So if we have um, a ledger for US dollars, then the quote token is the US dollar. And if the ledger is about uh, say Bitcoins, then the token is the Bitcoin. So that's a really like general way of describing them. But specifically when people use the word token, they typically mean one that is not the quote native network token of whatever consensus network we're talking about. You want to explain what, what I mean by that, Chris? Yeah, because um, most networks have their own token, their own, uh, the, the thing that powers them, the, the, the thing that incentivizes the the nodes to make make everything trustful or trustless or however you want to describe it. And uh, you know, Bitcoin has Bitcoin, Ethereum has Ethereum, Algorand has Algos, Cardano has ADAs, um, but those are the actual native tokens themselves. Um, the But most of, actually every one of these networks, even Bitcoin had color coins for a little bit, but a another token that is a representation of a currency or a thing that isn't the actual native gas of the the uh, the blockchain. 
Yeah. So we tend to call those not, we tend to make a distinction between the network token and the non-network token, the one that sort of lives on top of it. And a lot of the tokens that have the most cachet um, in sort of like the blockchain world are these non-network tokens. So Chris, what are some of the non-network tokens that people have heard of? So you've heard of probably DAI, DAI is one, USDC, USDT. Those are the three major stable coins. Um, but uh, there are many, many others. Like ERC-20 is probably something that a lot, of, a lot of people have actually heard. And that designation is a non-network token. So anything that is an ERC-20 is one of those non-network tokens. Now, what about stuff like I've heard of Litecoin or Dogecoin? I've heard of, um, let's say, like the, there's like a Keep Network token, or there's one that is for, hmm, uh, there was like a lending provider. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's the, um, there's that, um, there's that Chainlink token. So right. of, of those ones I mentioned, can you just tell me if, which ones of those are non-network and which ones? So Doge is a network token because it has its own chain and Chainlink um, has its entire own infrastructure, but I believe the link token is an ERC-20 that lives on the Ethereum network. So that would be a non-network token. All right. So the point that I'm just making is, is that lots of the tokens that people have heard about are their own networks, but also there are quite a few that are very popular and important that are these quote non-network tokens. And the word right. token is just referring to one of these units that you can transact. And right. all of those tokens that we've, all the things we've mentioned so far are what is called fungible. Uh, so tell the people what fungible means, Chris. Fungible just means it's it's dividable. It can be divided less than one. Um, so say if you have 10, you can divide 10 of these tokens. Um, with If it was non-fungible, you could divide the 10 tokens up to 10 individual ones, but you couldn't divide it any more than that. If you um, And once you get down to one, there is no actually less more fungible than that. And a fungible token means you can actually divide the token down to X number of decimal points. And I believe each, each chain has their own special uh, designation or um, configuration for that. So I, I like your, I like what you said, uh, but I think I'm, I'm more of a theoretician than you. So I want to say sure. it a different way. Um, so it, it, it is absolutely true that an important characteristic of fungible ones is that they're divisible into many pieces. So, but the more important thing I think is, is that you don't care which piece you get. So what I mean by that is that imagine that I had $10 and I could take that $10 and I could break it up into 10 $1 bills and I could give some of those to each one of my kids and then they could go spend them. And no one is going to care which dollar bill that they got. All the dollar bills are equal to one another. They don't have anything that is important about being that particular dollar bill. And um, you could also then reassemble them again into another $10 bill if you collected them all. And that would be also indistinguishable from the original $10 bill. So the fact that you can divide them into pieces um, is kind of like a, um, a consequence of the fact that you don't care about what the individual ones are. Now, it's actually the case that all dollar bills do have a serial number on them. Uh, so you can tell one dollar bill apart from another one. But no one actually cares about this, except when we're like, well, I don't know if any people really do this, but in movies, they track them uh, when, you know, they give, them to drug bank. when they give them to drug dealers or something like that. I don't really know how that works, but, you know, uh, 
normal people don't care about which dollar bills that they get. And that is actually an important and valuable thing. But there are lots of things in the real world where it might really matter. Um, and sometimes it's, it's something that's a little bit weird is, is that sometimes it does matter and sometimes it doesn't. So for example, imagine that um, there are uh, thousands of this um, George Russell uh, hat that I'm wearing. Uh, but maybe one of them is the hat that he wore on a particular day. So even though all of those are, uh, I mean, they're all unique, but they're also kind of fungible. Maybe there's one that's special. So um, when we talk about non-fungible tokens, we are simultaneously talking about the, perhaps the lack of divisibility that Chris mentioned, but also we're emphasizing a kind of uniqueness where this one is important. You want to riff on that, Chris? Um, you know, I, 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 I guess I do, but I'd also like to move on uh, because okay. once uh, I, I think we're hammering tokens quite a bit, but let's okay. let's move on a little bit more. Okay, all right. So we've basically just said what non-fungible tokens are. They're tokens which are just abstract things that we count, and these ones are non-fungible, which means that you uh, can't subdivide them typically, and that it's uniquely important what they are. Now, at that point, uh, kind of the next thing to say is that with normal tokens, the main thing that you care about is a ledger. And that ledger says, Jay has 20 of them, Chris has 30 of them, there are 50 of them in existence. But if every one of those tokens is special and unique, then it's not, it doesn't really make sense anymore to say that Jay owns 20. Uh, let's imagine that each one of the non-fungible tokens um, had like a name from the letter of the alphabet. So for instance, Jay might own the Atom token, whereas Chris might own the Zeta token, and Jay might own the Bob token, and Chris owns Claire. And so if there were 26 tokens with their own unique identities, it's actually important to know who owns every single one of them. Now, I'm just talking like techie weird stuff. Like, why do we care about that? So I like, you know, Usually I'll, I actually will kind of rip off what you're doing. I'm going to let you keep going. And the reason for it is that I, 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 I believe in a different way. And I, I kind of want to actually go in a different direction. I don't want to actually um, push you off your, your train of thought. So I'll let you keep going. And okay, then, yeah. you, then it's my turn. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay. So yeah, so each one is, you know, there, it, it has its own unique uh, identity. And we care about who owns each one of those unique things. And that means that that unique um, token has, it's basically its own independent existence in the world. So what I mean by that is, is that it's like a unique artifact where we'll know that like, you know, the Claire token came into existence on this particular time and Jay was the first owner of it and Jay traded it to Chris and then Chris gave it back to Jay later and Jay gave it to one of his kids. And um, it's an ab it's an abstract thing. It doesn't have any particular meaning intrinsically, um, it only has a meaning in as much as it is connected to the outside world. And when I say connected, I mean it is connected in a way that is only imposed by like us humans. Like the, the token itself doesn't say, uh, I have some meaning, it, we, we give it that meaning. I feel like I'm talking like a crazy person um, you, you are, you are ranting a little bit, but yeah. I'm, I'm used to it. Maybe, maybe they're not, but so let, can I, you mind if I take over a little yeah, bit? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so what you did and, um, you know, when you started talking about NFTs, 
you started going down the the actual the the path of describing what an NFT is, and which you it makes sense because that's what I asked you. But um, <laughs> what my my issue though is like that is that is what everybody does is when you start thinking about an NFT is like oh it's an asset that represents um, something, and I don't like that. Jay, I don't like that people start thinking about those things because I feel it stifens innovation. Because what an NFT to me is, it has actually nothing to do with a token or being fungible. Or I mean, it's a little bit about being fungible or not, but this is the actual definition of people that use. What I like to say is NFT means self-sovereign ownership. I don't really care that it's, you know, it's how it's actually like if it's an asset or whatever, what I truly care about is all it is, is an immutable, self-contained, um, trustless way of designating ownership of something that, that to me is what an NFT is. Um, and it, it's, it's a, you know, argue, I'm saying argument, I try not to be argumentative, but um, it's something that I talk to people a lot about is because in everybody's mind goes directly to there's a token that I pass around and it is something. But at the end of the day, the token, the token doesn't matter. The, the thing doesn't matter. The, all that is actually on the chain is a representation of ownership. The thing doesn't have to be on chain. The and the actual the thing itself might not actually be the thing that's valuable. But this is actually a thing I was talking to Shanti about the other day. For the audience, uh, Shanti is uh, one of uh, one of the stars of Reach, one of our star yeah. employees. Yes, um, and we were talking about she. She's like, I don't get people are, why people are spending millions of dollars for a JPEG that anybody can own. I'm like, well, no, not everybody can own. Everybody can actually have a copy of it. And the actual, the, the thing itself isn't the thing that is the valuable, the actual, um, the, the scarcity of the ownership of that thing is what's, uh, what's valuable. And then I got kind of really like, you know, weird about it. I, I said, Hey, okay. So buying a paint, buying a painting, buying the Mona Lisa, if you bought the Mona Lisa and that's worth, you know, tens of hundreds of millions of dollars, lots of money. Are you buying the painting or are you is the is it what's worth it is the actual ownership of the original thing because like this is what i proposed to her i said um if you were able to copy that painting down to the atom and then give that someone is that worth as much as the original and i think most people would say no because they want the one that you know da vinci actually touched Exactly. So, so then why, why is that any different than buying these, these JPEGs? Because the original is the thing and the, what you're really buying is the actual ownership and not the actual image itself. And it's kind of weird to think about. So I want to, you know, roll back a little bit. So All like right. when we started with NFTs, like I was describing it from like the tech implementation side. Right. And then you're like, you stupid tech person, we right. should talk about the product interface side of it. Right. You know That's what I mean? The only thing that matters. Yeah. The, right. the, the, the value that it actually gives to people and the exactly. value, the, the thing that it, dis, that it is, is that ownership. Right. So if we were to like, look at this in the real world, you know, I could say that like, what's a house man. And one way to say what a house is, is, you know, it's like sticks and foundation and stuff. There's a way to describe what the house is made out of. 
Right. There's also a way to describe the fact that what's the house for? I live in it. And then there's also another level, which is like the abstraction of the house, which is like who owns the house that is at this particular address in this right. particular town. And what NFTs really are doing is they're taking that ownership and they're making it so that it is, as you said, self-sovereign ownership. So I think that we want to elaborate on that a little bit. And I think that, yeah. uh, you know, uh, the way that I would naturally do this is to say like, well, how do we know who owns my house right now in the real world? Um, yeah. And I think that, um, you know, if you've never bought a house, uh, it's painful. <laughs> it's really annoying to buy a house. And in my experience, one of the things that's most annoying about buying a house is uh, the way that uh, it shows you how uh, floppy and ill-defined this idea of who owns things are. Because one of the things that you do when you buy a house is that you, um, you pay people who are called a title company. And basically what a title company does, this is my understanding, I'm not a title company expert, is that essentially they check to make sure that the house that you're buying was not already sold by the people who say that they're selling it to you to somebody else and that they actually bought it from somebody that really owned it. So they're essentially just double checking that the person that you're buying this thing from is the person who really actually owns it and nobody well, else. But Jay, why, why then do you buy title insurance? Yeah, but even though you do this, you also buy title insurance in case they made a mistake and you actually didn't, don't really own it. And right. it's totally baffling why this is even a problem because you're like, isn't there a database somewhere where we can just look? And it turns out that, yeah, there is a database and that database is called a stack of paper in the county courthouse. But that stack of paper, like, oh, well, you know, up until 1975, it was in this other building. And then, and you know, 1930, there was a fire and a flood and we lost some of them. So basically there's this really messy history that like tracks where things actually are. And the dream you might say of the blockchain is to avoid all of that messiness and have a clear articulable place that says, this is where you look to figure out who owns something and everybody will always agree who actually owns it. And there won't be a need or opportunity for these middlemen to get in between but, you and who owns it. But wait, there's more. <laughs> What's so, more? So the reason why I kind of, I push back hard on your technical definition of NFT is because uh, when you when you put a technical definition of the, onto the NFT, you limit what the potential of what the NFT could be. And when you actually take it back, take a step back and look at the abstract of what it is, a self-sovereign ownership, you can actually really start like imagining what more that could be. Because so if it's a self-sovereign ownership, could it be a self-sovereign ownership with the rules? Yes, it can. So it's not only is actually this, I am able to have on chain our immutable transparent ownership, but now the actual ownership itself has the ability to actually instill rules with pretty much anything. It's, it's an inf infinite amount of possibilities from that, so, but giving you certain use cases, you could do things like attach royalties to the transfer of a NFT. So say I bought a thing and, um, I then sold it to you. Um, the original owner could get a portion of that enforced. Like those are the type of things you could actually build in. Or another thing that I that uh, I talk about is 
that I am only able to transfer this NFT to, or this, this thing, or transfer ownership to somebody that has ownership of another thing. Because like a use case of this, you're like, okay, well, why would anybody do that? Okay, well, say that you own a casino and you want to sell a VIP pass, a lifetime VIP pass to all of the shows. You don't want that to get in the hands of just anybody. So what you say is, okay, I'm going to create this thing. Um, but the only hands that this, this can go, go to are people that are part of the NFT club, which I then actually pass out these NFTs to designate if somebody's actually in the club. And then, then you can sell to anybody in the club, but only to people in the club. But like all of these things is if, like, are only possible if you take a step back and ask what really is an NFT and not what technically it is. Uh, it is. So I want to take your stepping back and ignoring the technical stuff and elaborate what you said technically, which is ah, that- <laughs> Getting back to technical, okay, fine. Yeah. So, you know, Chris is like, oh, you know, uh, we can control the way that it's sold. We can, and, and I feel like people out there are like, what the heck is he talking about? How do we do that? Because the thing is, is that when we're talking about, you know, like a title, for instance, in the real world, we're talking about like a piece of paper. So how does the piece of paper have rules that say how you transfer it? Are we talking like, you know, sales covenants that, you know, I think that most people in popular culture, when they think of sales covenants, they can only think of like these horrible situations, you know, uh, back in like Jim Crow era in America, where, you know, you were, uh, it was illegal. Well, it was against the rules of the covenant to like sell your house to like minorities and stuff like that. And we think of things like that as a being enforced by the external world, not being enforced by like the piece of paper itself. Uh, and also just terrible, you know? So the thing is that like, how does the piece of paper say, oh, well, I can only be sold under these circumstances. Well, if, it, if a piece of paper says that, then we can just ignore what the piece of paper says. Right. The difference though, is that on the blockchain, the NFT is a thing. We're not gonna, we don't have to, uh, you know, Chris doesn't like saying it's an asset. He doesn't like saying it's a token. It's, it's a data structure. It's a thing, it's a data structure. And part of that data structure uh, has information in it that can answer the question, who owns this? So at a very high level, you can imagine that your NFT in the simplest case is like a text box. And the text box says, Jay owns it. Right. And then the that text box comes with some code that can run that says, uh, under these circumstances, I can change the contents of the text box. And that part where it says under these circumstances, those are where all the rules can happen. And so Chris can imagine making an NFT that says something like, well, you can only change the, what's in this text box if you also show me proof that you're a member of the NFT club. Or you can only um, change the value in this text box if you also prove to me that you paid the original owner, the very first person that created this, say, you know, Leonardo da Vinci's estate, uh, you, you, that you paid him a certain amount of money and you also paid the owner a certain amount of money and then now you become the new owner. So what smart contracts do is they allow you to write down these rules to enforce what happens to data structures in the future. So the stuff that you know in the real world is just written on a piece of paper that we can ignore is actually enforced by the network itself. This, this is the thing I, I get really excited about when people talk and talk about NFTs because everybody thinks like, oh, I'm handing JPEGs back and forth. And that I call those dumb NFTs because they don't actually do anything other than that text box of who actually owns it. And I don't care how it's technically implemented because um, it 
most likely will change a lot over time because that's what happens when new te new tech com comes. But um, you just need to make sure um, you, not Jay, you you listener, um, <laughs> need to actually make sure that you you don't ask the question of how something was done, um, be especially when we're this early. Because I promise you, there we're doing it wrong. So um, you need to ask yourself what it should be and how do I get there? And NFTs is one of those things that is, is the most promising thing to me because pretty much everything on this planet is owned by somebody. And everything on this planet has rules of engagement of owning that thing. And if I could see, you know, a maybe not every single thing in the world that somebody owns, but a good majority of things that are people are owned digitally and uh, physically um, that are represented by some type of blockchain. And, and that is what, and that is what really excites me. Yeah. And the hobby horse that I beat on, right. Is, is that this self-sovereign thing means that no one can interfere with your ability to control access to the thing that you own. So right. what that means is, is that, no one can stand in the way of you proving that you own something. So for instance, you know, there's not going to be, there, there can't be a situation where someone, you know, um, uh, maliciously burns down the courthouse just to prove that you don't own something anymore. Uh, you right. can't be the target of an attack like that because the blockchain is immutable and no one can mess with it. Similarly, um, it can drastically lower the transaction costs for doing something like selling your house. Like right now, um, you know, the title insurance part of a house, uh, of buying a house in America is a very small percentage of it. But um, I read a book by Hernando de Soto um, a few years ago. And one of the things that it talked about is how these uh, titles are extremely expensive to acquire in other countries. I think he was talking about um, a particular place in Brazil. I'm not really sure how the political system in Brazil is organized, whether this is like a... a, a um, a countrywide thing or a state level thing. But he was talking about how, because uh, the titles are so difficult to maintain and acquire, many people don't actually have titles to their houses because it would have been, they, they basically don't have enough money. They have enough money to buy the house, uh, but they don't have enough money to deal with the regulatory infrastructure. And so that's an example of people who, because of the existence of this middleman are in a very precarious place with regard to their property. And, you know, that is very painful to hear about this because it's an example of something where the blockchain is ready to help people if only we could actually show up and make it happen. And I think that yeah. that's just a small part of, uh, you know, how blockchain can actually like improve people's lives in the future. One other thing I'd like to talk about with NFTs is, and this, this, this stems from the, the, what I like to say is that um, we're like babies right now where we have a very small set of words that we use to describe things. So just like a, a little kid will use, you know, a word like an apple to describe every fruit. Yeah. What my, uh, my little sister, you know, she, uh, she had pork chicken and beef chicken and fish chicken. Right. To her chicken was meat. Exactly. So what, what we're doing, what now we all of the actual, the blockchain community are, are, is using the word NFT for far too many things. Um, not everything is an NFT or if, uh, or you should be more specific on what it is because 
there will be many different classes of this self-sovereign ownership. And we do need to actually uh, develop an, a lexicon to be able to describe each one of these things, or it's going to get very confusing. Yeah, so one, of the, that, one of the examples that I like about that is, is that um, there's this concept that is called a fractional NFT. And fractional NFTs are basically NFTs that are not non-fungible in the way that Chris said that, that they were non-fungible in the beginning when we were talking about the tech angle. So, you know, the, the fractional NFT is, you know, imagine that we're talking about royalties and, you know, I own 10% of the royalties and you own 20% of them and then someone else owns, you know, 70% of them. And right. so there's one, uh, you know, royalty box, but then we've sort of divided it into shares. And so that's an example of a fractional NFT. And so I think that uh, if you have the concept of NFT in your head as not having pieces, and I tell you about fractional NFTs, then your brain explodes. But if you have the concept of self-sovereign ownership with rules, then fractional NFT makes complete sense. Right. So, you know, the people watching this video, go ahead and put in the comments what you think we should call these things, because I don't know the answer. And we, somebody needs to figure these things out because it's just going to get very confusing very quickly as as the mainstream starts adopting this self-sovereign ownership. And, and I think self-sovereign ownership is the worst word. <laughs> worst oh word yeah, of. that's a bad word. <laughs> I mean, the thing that I like to, I, I like about this angle is that one of my goals for reach as a company and for these, uh, this, you know, podcast series that we're doing is like, um, I have a dream of blockchain becoming extremely boring. And what I mean by that is, is that uh, imagine that I walked up to you and I said, uh, you know, I'm, I have a company and my company is using accounting. Then you would look at me and you're like, uh, why are you telling me it's using accounting? All, all companies use accounting. That's like not an exciting thing to tell somebody right. uh, because accounting has permeated all of our infrastructure. Similarly, if I said, you know, I have a company and we use computers, then like, again, you're like, what are you doing? But if we were to rewind back into the 70s and I told you that I had a company and we we're using computers, that would actually be kind of exciting. You know, right. I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily be able to tell you what kind of company you were doing, but it would be exciting. And similarly, today, when people say I have a company that's doing something with blockchain or I'm doing something with NFTs, that is a weird, strange thing to say that distinguishes you from all other companies. And my goal is to make it so that that is a totally boring thing when people say, okay, yeah, and what else, you know, what else is new? So let's actually kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to bridge off of what you just said there and, and ask the question of, so, I mean, I think I'm a really smart guy, but there are lots of really smart people in, in the world. Why aren't there so many different types of NFTs right now, say like on Ethereum? When it comes to Ethereum, um, I think the problem with Ethereum is that it's extremely expensive to do anything on Ethereum because the gas prices are very, very high because of the high congestion on the network. And um, this has the consequence that you don't do things on Ethereum unless those things are valuable enough to be greater than the transaction fee. So, so I, I'm gonna stop you right there. <laughs> I disagree with you. I do, not, <laughs> I do not believe that is why that there's not many different types of many, like, like very, functional nfts on ethereum well i uh, i i think that there's a few reasons but i okay. think that that's a big one I, the reason why i don't think that's one is because people are like aping and throwing millions of dollars around doing tons of stuff right now on ethereum um but the 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 reason in my opinion why there's actually only like very 
like few different types of NFTs is because it's very hard to program them. And if you program them into actually to do different things, guess what? Now you are an outlier and now you have to spend all of the auditing, all of the actual, like the, the brain power to actually make sure this, this thing that you tweaked is safe. So nobody's, yeah. nobody's willing to risk that. Yeah. That was going to be my number two. <laughs> well, that's uh, my reason. number one. <laughs> one so, yeah. and yeah. One and two is that's mine. Yeah. And, and let me kind of explain that a little bit for people. So most of the time when people launch an NFT, what they really do is they like copy an existing program that has sort of stood the test of time. And maybe they won't make any changes. Maybe they'll just change the fact that like, you know, uh, there's a different JPEG link in it or something like that. And so because there's a very small set of these programs that have, uh, you know, the reputation of being uh, reliable, um, people are very scared, like Chris said, to try to make new ones. It's difficult to do. It's scary to do it. There's all sorts of reasons that prevent people from doing it. Um, and I think that that's a very good reason why people don't do it. But I think that also, I think my, I think my answer is really good too. Because the thing is, is that, you know, <laughs> the, the transaction costs are huge, you know? Like sure. if, if something, like it's very difficult to be creative um, when there are huge budgets at stake. I mean, I think that this is a pretty well accepted phenomenon when we look at like movie production and game production and stuff like that. Like, so the, the reason the why I disagree are... with you, I'm going to tell you why I disagree with you more is because these things that we're describing that have more functionality are better than what exists today. So, uh, and people are spending money on what exists today. So, if if somebody was able to build a better thing, they would spend the crazy amounts of money on the better thing. It's just it it's you have to then make everybody agree that that better thing is the main way because um, if everybody doesn't use it, who knows if it's safe. So your point is, is that right now, you know, maybe there's a thousand crazy people and those thousand crazy people, they would like to use something that's better. So, right. and my point is, is that I'm sort of saying why there's only a thousand people, why there's only a thousand crazy people sure. as opposed to millions of people being involved in this. I agree. That's a problem. Very 100%. And that needs to be fixed. Um, and it's being fixed. But uh, I don't believe it's the reason why we don't have a plethora of different types of um, NFTs, because those crazy people would, you know, would throw money at anything um, if it was better. So, you know, you're basically saying that uh, there's a failure of, of nerve where people aren't brave enough to make these new things. Um, sure. and, but I think that also you believe that there's a failure of creativity where people oh, don't even 100%. conceive of NFTs being a bigger idea and that prevents yeah. them from even trying to build it. So I think yeah. that you actually think that there's another problem, which is that people don't agree with you. And because well, people don't agree with you, they don't see that there's this bigger thing that NFTs could They be. They will, Jay. They will agree with me <laughs> if I tell enough people. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I, so we talked about this quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shill a little bit because... That's, I mean, I don't know how not to shill. Um, one of the things that Reach provides, the company that Jay and I both work at, um, is the ability to allow for people to experiment and be able to, to build these things because it's much easier and also safer. So that when somebody comes in with this bright idea, they don't need to worry and say, okay, where can I download this template to, so, to actually do this thing? It's let's just do this thing and let the actual math guide the way right yeah i agree with you as well that um you know one of our goals with reach is to help people be able to 
perform whatever creative experiments they want to do with uh, having less worry. And I think that also one of our goals is to bring in totally new people into the blockchain space because right. the people that are already in the blockchain space, they're kind of locked in many of them to these particular ideas and they have that failure of creativity. But I think that as we bring many, many more people in, they'll be able to think of really creative applications of the NFT concept. And to be clear, you know what? The people that are in the space that we just said that you're not creative. Okay, you were creative originally. We need more people to think of new ideas. So you did a great job thinking of what's currently there. Let's get more people that can think of awesome or or differently awesome things. How about that? Yeah, and you know, um, not to like uh, beat them too much, but you know, this idea that they were creative in the past and that they're that they're not being as creative right now. I think that that actually is uh, pretty descriptive of what's going on and that people are right now in blockchain are very concerned with standardization oh, and goodness. then creating oh. reliable um, like patterns and infrastructure of deployment. And my personal taste on that is that it's a little bit too early oh. to focus on these kinds of issues. And many new upcoming blockchains, they feel like they need to have these like hardcore standards before they can even get off the ground and, as opposed to opening out the experimentation. I've got stuff to say, Jay. So, <laughs> oh, so, so one of the things I, t- I t- stand on my soapbox about is NFTs. The other thing I stand on a soapbox about is um, early standardization. And boy, does it bo- boil my blood. I don't yeah. know if we want to get into that right now, yeah. but let's, you know, let's not, let's not yeah. get into that right now. <laughs> but, you know, to, to like put, put like a name on it, in the same way that like I originally said NFTs are this technical thing and Chris is like, uh, Jay, they're more than that. Imagine if I instead said, oh, an NFT is an ERC-721. And let me tell you what the names of the functions in an ERC-721 provides are. So, uh, you know, there's like that, that would be like saying that like the standard decides what the concept is, but that is the opposite way to think about it. The concept right. exists. And then once we have that concept, we go searching for technical implementations of it. Once we find technical implementations of it, we want to make those interoperable. And that causes us to create standards. The market decides the standard, not individuals, not committees, not anything of that sort. Whoever builds the best product decides what the standard is because it is the best product. All right. So I want to wrap up now. And I want to wrap up by having each of us say uh, something that we wish were NFT'd in our life. How do you like that? Okay, go for it. I want you to go first. No, 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 no. I, <laughs> I, I get to make you go first because I okay. came up with the question. Uh, I mean, all right. well, easy thing. Car, home, all, all the expensive things that I own, I 1,000% would want it to be NFTs. Um, you know what? I'm going to go and then I'm going to let you go. And then I'll, you know, I'll go again because okay. you let me go first. I, I just took the easy ones, but then you go next. Okay. Um, I think that um, hmm, something that I would like NFT'd, mm, I think that, uh, I think that, so I, you know, I, in my other life, I'm an academic researcher. And so I really like the idea of trying to like um, keep track of like the provenance of research articles and research ideas Um, it really bugs me when you publish research papers, you are basically forced to like sell your copyright for $0 to, um, one of these major scientific public publishers. Um, 
and I understand why it's necessary in like the old publishing world because like they need the ability to like print stuff and they can't be going off and finding every researcher to like pay them off when they want to like make a new print of the journal. But I find that really aggravating and I want academic researchers to own their work more. Um, and I think that that would be uh, really valuable. Okay. Fine. Maybe that's that's not super exciting. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I like your thing too. Now, you know, my now, house now and let's, car. Now let's see if I can actually wake up the audience again. Um, <laughs> how about indexing arts, indexing NFT in all of my video games, so I can actually reset sell my video games. Okay, uh, that's that's cool. How you mean that? like you mean like your 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 games? My Steams, like your Steam, my games? Steam account. Yeah, like I've got thousands. If I like, I, I will never play. If I could resell those, if they were unique. Where they actually had some scarcity, and because I, I, you know, I bought, I bought some games during the humble bundle, and I would love to actually have like that recognition and be able to actually sell that as almost a collectible. I think that that would be valuable too, because you know maybe <laughs> someone out there really wants to play. I don't know. I, I have humble bundle too, and there are so many games on it where I'm like, seriously, you're giving me this. Right. Um, I'm never going to touch it, but you know, every once in a while you get some good stuff and it's, you know, you're supporting a good cause. All right. So, yeah. I'm going to do, I'm going to do another <laughs> way out there. I would like to NFT myself. Mm, so, so I can buy you. So I can, you can, you can invest in me. Oh mm, yeah. So I, I think this is really cool. So, you know, I, as I mentioned before, you know, I'm a academic researcher. Uh, here and we go educator. again. We yep. know Jay, we know. So, <laughs> so one of the things that I find really that, that really bugs me is, is that universities have like no incentive for their students to actually do well um, yeah. in life um, and like get a good income and whatnot. I mean, they kind of do because if they're, you're a star, they'll talk about, oh, you know, he went to this school or whatever. But I think that if you, there was actually skin in the game where you could like invest in your students, uh, then people would be able to get paid to go to college um, and people would compete to pay you the best because you're going to be a good option. And you could basically, like some people, you would have to sell, you know, 40% of your income to go to college, but other people, you don't have to pay 5% of your income. And we're going to like try really hard about increasing your income because we're going to get a percentage of that. I think like a, uh, a model of education that was based on actually the universities investing in the students would be right. way better for the students. Exactly. So, okay, there's a lot of ideas. Um, you know, I'm gonna, now I'm going to do the, uh, you know, the YouTube thing. If you enjoyed what we're talking about, please comment below. Please like, please subscribe. We're going to keep doing these things. Um, but, uh, you know, what, Jay, you always do an amazing job of summarizing what we talk about. So I'm going to let you have it. All right. Yeah. So we talked about NFTs. So NFTs, we talked about them from a technical angle, from a interface angle, from what their actually value is. And what we came down on is the idea that NFTs are about all about self-sovereign ownership, not letting someone else decide whether you own something and not letting someone else dictate the rules by which, you're, you, by which you own it and how that thing can be transferred. We talked about lots of exciting ways that people uh, could apply this in the future and, you know, we would love to talk more about any of these. So if you're interested, let's have that conversation. And we also talked about how in the current world, there was a huge amount of NFT creativity that happened a few years ago in the blockchain world. And we both think that that creativity needs to be unleashed even more now. As more people come into blockchain, more people experiment with doing it different ways. And we are all super excited to see what you are going to build with Reach uh, yeah. when it comes to NFTs. So thank and you so much. 
And the secret is the reason why we did this one is because we're going to talk about NFTs a lot more in the next like two or three episodes. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, please come join our communities. You can join our Discord, go to our, our website, uh, reach.sh. Um, all of our links are there and uh, come come chat with me. Okay. Thanks for seeing us today. Bye. Thank you.